0: So, Alhamdulillah today I want to talk about the introductory ayat of al Mu'minun, which is known as the Surah of the Believers. And it starts off with six descriptions of who the believers are. If you remember, last week we looked at Surah Al Asr which was kind of like the Surah of passing. Remember we said that the opposite of losing is passing. So that's, Surat Al Asr is like the bare minimum for us to pass. Whereas the believers here, this is about like the elite group. This is about the A plus A+ category, right? So I think it's important for us to see what it takes to become from the Al Mu'minun. And why, why, or how do we know that this is talking about that elite group of people or the people who will be in the highest levels of Jannah? Because as we know, Jannah is darajat, right? It's levels. And we'll see in this surah, Allah talks about these people inheriting Al Firdaus, which is like the highest of all, all levels of Jannah. And so, how do we know that this is talking about that elite group of people? Number one, they're inheriting the highest level of Jannah. Number two, Allah describes them as the noun al-mu'minun because sometimes in the quran allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about alladhina amanu those who are actively engaged in increasing their iman right so alladhina amanu is more it's a verb and a, and a verb means there's no consistency one day your iman's up one day your iman's low but al-mu'min المؤمن or al-mu'minun the believers they've gotten the title it's a noun and therefore is it fluctuating or is it fixed it's pretty much fixed, yeah. So that's why this is like a very high standard for us to, um, you know, look up to in the Quran. And so, let's let's inshallah dive deep into the ayat and see what is the description of these believers. Again, how many descriptions are there in this introduction? Six. Okay. How many? Six. Very good. So Allah Subhanahu wa Taala starts off: "A'udhu billahi min ash-shaitan "Qad Qad in the Arabic language emphasizes that it's a done deal. You know how like a judge says, done. The judgment is done. That's what Qad means. Okay, It's something that's already done and there's no question about it. Aflaha is a meaning in the Arabic language which means to win, right? There's different words in the Quran for winning. Fawz is one of them. Falah is one of them. But Allah's choice of the word aflaha has its, uh, its emphasis here, and we'll talk about it in a second. But in general, what is this, what is this ayah saying? That the believers have won. The believers have indeed won. Okay. What does the word aflaha mean, and then what does the word mu'minoon mean? We'll look at both. First of all, what does mu'min mean? It's often translated as believers, right? But the word mu'min... Actually is a much much more deeper word if you think about it Because it comes from the root word amn Which means Anyone knows? Peace So part of the qualities of a believer is that Not only is he a believer in Allah His belief in Allah gives him peace Now what's the connection between him believing in Allah And this iman giving him peace Because there's many people who claim to believe in Allah today But they don't have peace in their heart They have anger, they have jealousy, they have ego, they have hatred. So is that true Iman? Because if you remember, we talked about this in a previous uh, talk also, that the Prophet ﷺ described the believer as, or none of us is a believer. He says, None of you is a believer, none of you has true Iman until you love for your brother, what you love for yourself. So this, this peace comes when there is Contentment in the heart. There's no ill feelings towards anybody else. Okay? That's part of the prerequisites of being a mu'min. Another meaning of Iman is the fact that you have no fear. Your heart is at peace. You don't fear anything because Allah is with you. As, as we know from a self-development perspective and from a character perspective, fear can be a limiting factor in our achievements in life, correct? With fear, because what is fear? If you think about it, what is fear? Fear is something to do with the future. It's usually a fear of the unknown and the future. And is, the fu- is anything about the future real? Nothing about the future is real. All fears of future are all from shaitan, by the way. In Allah subhanahu wa taala says, إِنَّمَا ذَلِكُمُ It is in fact shaitan who makes us fear. And so fear is actually the opposite of Iman also. You cannot be a believer and be afraid of the future. You can't be a believer and be afraid of your boss, or afraid of where the next salary is going to come from, or afraid of how you're going to pay the bills, or afraid of anything. Because who is with you? Allah is with you. And when Allah is with you, the ultimate protector is with you what you have to fear. So, another way of looking at Mu'min is someone who is fearless because Allah is with him. And another beautiful meaning of Mu'min is someone who has no doubts. Opposite of Iman can also mean doubtful, right? Someone who has doubts, someone who has limiting beliefs. And, And another thing that limits our achievements in life and limits our potential is limiting beliefs. I am not good enough. I am too young, I am too old, life is tough, the economy is bad, making money is difficult, becoming a millionaire is hard work. Right? All of these are limiting beliefs that if we have in our mind, they're just going to limit our, our potential in the future. So a mu'min is someone who is free from these negative beliefs. He has confidence, full self-confidence. Because Allah's with him. And when Allah's with you, Allah says, Inna Allah shayin qadir." Allah is capable of everything. And so if Allah is capable of everything, then and we believe in Allah, therefore we should be, with His help, capable of everything. Which means a mu'min is someone who's extremely confident. But then you balance that confidence with humility. Because you don't want to get into the ego trap. Okay? So you see how Iman is like. Not just about believing in Allah. And here Allah didn't say those who believe in Allah are the winners. He said those who are the mu'mineen are the winners. And so all of these meanings are combined in it. Those who have inner peace and feel safe with Allah with them, they are the winners. Those who have no fear of the future, they are the winners. Those who they have no limiting beliefs, and they believe they can do, I believe I can do it, I believe I can get out of any problem, I believe I can get out of my mess. When you have that unshakable belief, that certainty, that's a sign of success. Okay. And the word aflaha, very very beautiful word, which actually you know, comes from the word in Arabic for "fellah" or a farmer. A farmer is known as al-fallah. What does al-fallah do? What does a farmer do? He takes care of his crops. He takes care of the seeds and the plants, right? So, what? Why did Allah associate winning with farming? And what's the connection between farming, winning, and believers? One of the meanings here is that farming requires work, right? Effort. So, the believers haven't won just without any effort. They've done some effort. Okay, they've gotten their hands dirty. They've, they've. Done some effort to take care of the crops. Another meaning of that is farming requires patience, right? I mean, none of uh, any farmers here? No, right? We haven't unfortunately done any farming, but if you were a farmer, you'd know that farming requires patience. Farmers don't get paid every month at the end of every month, they get paid when? Harvest. Yeah, harvest, which is usually every six months or every one year, and sometimes har- like. Uh, You know, some hurricane or tornado comes and your entire crop is gone. You have to wait for next year. And farming also requires a lot of care. You have to be very careful about your crops. You have to make sure that they're getting enough sunlight, enough oxygen. Make sure that, you know, you're uh, taking care of the plants. If you ignore your plants, are they going to grow and bear fruits as a farmer? Or do you have to regularly go back to the fruits and the seeds and make sure you're taking care of it? It's a regular job, right? It needs your constant attention And same thing here Allah is telling us For the believers, their iman is so precious to them For you to reach the level of mu'min, where it's constant You've got to take care of it constantly It's not something you neglect not something you take for granted, it's something that you're, just like the farmer, you're constantly concerned, is it getting enough sunlight, enough oxygen, do I need to give some, you know, do I need to make some room for it, is it, is the seed put in the proper place, right? You're constantly engaged in taking care of that Iman. Iman for you is the number one priority basically. And anything that's going to affect your Iman, what do you do with that? You try to protect yourself from it, right? because what does a farmer do when something is about to you know affect its farming what does it do it tries to protect its its seeds right it, the farmer tries to protect his agriculture and his plants why because this is precious for him so saying, here Allah is also highlighting that the mu'minin for them iman is valuable and human nature is that everything that's valuable for us we take care of we protect and when something of of no value do you protect it? Do you, care? Do you bother to take care of it? No, right? And so, where is Iman, by the way? Where does Iman lie? In the heart, in the heart right? So the state of the heart, again, it's something that believers constantly take care of, the state of the heart. They're constantly checking, is there any hatred, any jealousy, any anger in my heart that I need to get rid of? Is there any sort of conflict that I need to resolve? Any forgiveness I need to make to purify the heart? And anything that's going to affect my iman, you be protective of it. You protect it. Okay, is that clear so far? So قَدْ أَفْلَحَ الْمُؤْمِنُونَ That's the introduction. And then Allah goes on to describe these believers. Their number one quality Allah says is الَّذِينَ هُمْ فِي صَلَاتِهِمْ خاشعون. Those who in their salah, they have khushu'. And here there's an uh, interesting language because Allah is saying that specifically in their salah they have khushu because other places in the Quran Allah talks about you know, eyes having khushu and people having khushu and voices having khushu and hearts having khushu but here Allah is talking about these people having khushu and their salah so it's very specific those who especially in their prayers they have khushu' in their salah okay and khashu'un again is a it's, a it's a noun it's not a verb so throughout the salah they have entire, they have full khushu' throughout the entire salah so what is khushu' we talked about this uh, when we talked about surah al-maun but basically khushu' is if you would summarize it in one word it's quality salah and some scholars call khushu' the soul of salah so if the actions are the body of salah the soul of salah is khushu' okay? so if you're praying without khushu' you're, there's no soul in your salah there's no ruh in your salah okay? and so it's more about quality it's about understanding what you're saying and khasha literally means that your, your emotions and your body are in, in complete you know, s- state of submission and humility in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, okay? Everything's involved, everything is present. You're present with your heart, you're present with your body. It's, it's showing in your face, it's showing in your body, and it's something internal that you feel. And if you remember, we did the Salah workshop to help us with the khashua, yeah? So number one quality, hum fi salatihim khashiun. Why did Allah put this at the, at the first place? Yeah. The importance of salah. Mm-hmm. So if you remember when we talked about Salah, we talked about the, the idea that first of all we need, we're praying five times a day, right? It's like that five times f- station where you're charging yourself. What are you recharging? What's the objective of Salah if you guys remember? Salata Li What's the objective of Salah? Remem- remembrance of Allah subhanahu so when we remember Allah subhanahu ta'ala this iman in our hearts revives our heart is supposed to get purified when we pray so it's like that charge that we need constantly especially in our day and age where you know we're living in a society where a lot of things around you are are there to decrease your iman whether that's people whether that's media entertainment distractions there's so many things around us to lower our iman, to destroy our iman. And so by being protective of your iman, like we said, because it's valuable for you, just like the farmer, you wanna make sure you're getting the best of your salah. Those five, 10 minutes, you wanna make sure that you're engaged, you're present, you're making the best use of that time by accelerating your, your iman and reaching that level where it's gonna last you until the next salah. So think of it as, Fueling up your Iman to the max in Fajr, so that it can last you all the way to Zuhr. By Zuhr, Iman has come down a bit. What do you need to do in Zuhr? Refuel, okay? Get the Iman back up, and then it's going to last you till asr and so on and so forth. You know, fueling stations, basically. Okay? So, الَّذِينَ هُمْ فِي صَلَاتِهِمْ خَاشِعُونَ If you pray without khushur, are you, are you going to be fueling the, the Iman in your heart? No. It's not going to happen. And so that's, and so what we're learning here is that mu'minun for them salah is a big deal. It's not a small thing. It's a pretty big deal. And for them salah is a priority. And just like they're in farming, they're taking care of their iman, in salah they're taking care of the salah. Just like the farmer, you're not neglecting your salah. Because if you neglect your, your farming, then you know, it's going to go to waste. Similarly with salah, if you neglect your salah, say bye-bye to your iman. Basically, that's what it's, it's saying here. الَّذِينَ هُمْ فِي him خَاشِعُونَ And then, what's beautiful about these six descriptions, they're all connected beautifully. And it's as if one thing is leading to the next. You'll see the connection between each one. Next, Allah says, هُمْ عَنِ Those who Especially when it comes to this thing called laghu, they avoid it. Mu'aridun means you give it to your ardh ardh literally means your side. So mu'arid means you walk away, you turn away, and you walk away. Okay, that's what mu'aridun means. And mu'aridun is a noun, which means constantly. It's not like sometimes they fall into it. Sometimes they're, no, mu'aridun constantly. Same thing with khushu. Khushu constantly. They have khushu in salah. It's not like sometimes you have khashruah, sometimes you don't know. It's a constant thing. Remember, I told you right from the beginning, these are extremely high standards. Okay? This is the people of al-Firdaws okay? al-A'la. Uh, so it's good sometimes to look at what the ideal standard is, right? So it's, we, can, we have some work to do and some you know, ambition to aspire to. So those, when, when it comes to laghu, they are constantly avoiding it. So on one hand, you're paying attention to your salah, you're engaged in salah, but on another hand, you're being, you're avoiding certain things. What are you avoiding? This thing called lahu. When do you avoid something? Just think about it. When you don't like it or when? When it's uncomfortable, when you know that it's going to harm you, right? And remember, the theme here is protection. Farmers protect their their plants. A mu'min protects his iman. So one of the reasons we're now we're learning is that after you've so think about it, you just fueled up yourself with iman, right? Your iman is at, at maximum level because you had khushu' and salah. Now when you go about your day-to-day activities, you're gonna see this thing called Lahu. What is Lahu? Lahu is all sorts of useless talk. Okay, all sorts of useless talk. In this comes riba, backbiting. In it comes namima, which is spreading false rumors among each other to create hatred amongst each other. In it comes judging others. In it comes uh, useless entertainment. In it comes lying. In it comes making fun of others. That is what lahu is. And the, another word in the Arabic language is al lahu. So there is lahu and there is lahu. Lahu is when you are involved in useless talk or talk that does not benefit you talk that harms you. And lahu is useless actions. Wasteful time spending your time wasting them in certain like entertainment or whatever okay. So these mu'minun what are they doing with lahu they are walking away from it. And let's look at how what Allah or the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, what has he told us about certain things to do with the tongue. The Prophet Sallallahu said, He who believes in Allah and the last day must either speak good or remain silent. You have something good to say, you talk. You don't have something good to say, stay silent. Okay? Um, and he was asked, Who is the most excellent among the Muslims? And he responded, وسلم, one, the one whose tongue and hands, the one from whose tongue and hands the other Muslims are secure. So the one who you don't harm, you don't harm the one who's not harming anybody with his tongue or his hands. Okay? So the tongue can be a very very dangerous thing that can um, destroy relationships, right? And we often take that as a light thing. But just looking at just look at this hadith, okay? A person utters a word thoughtlessly. So you say something without thinking of the consequences. Without thinking whether what you're saying is going to hurt somebody or not. Without thinking of how it's going to impact the other person. As a result of this thoughtless word that you said, that you uttered, he will fall down into the fire of hell deeper than the distance between the east and the west. Pretty big deal, huh? So here, the Prophet sallallahu and Allah subhanahu wa taala are teaching us that, like, imagine after khushu and salah. This is like a the second biggest deal. This is the second biggest thing that mu'mineen are cautious about: the use of their tongue, because this involves the rights of others, and you know. In terms of like, our, like the sins that we commit, you can look at it as two, two types of sins. One can be categorized as the noob, sins that are between you and Allah. Like for example, someone is not praying, someone is drinking alcohol, someone is committing zina, you know, a woman is not dressed modestly. Okay? Things between you and Allah, You're not, nobody else is involved in it. Those are the noob those can be replaced with uh, good deeds and you can do, just simply do istighfar and tawbah and do a lot of good deeds, they'll be wiped away easily. Why? Because Allah is Ghafur, He's Rahim, He's He, is raheim, he is tawab, He's al-afoo. Allah's doors of mercy are always open and all you have to do is ask Allah for you know, forgiveness. Whereas, so that, what was that called? What was those type of sins called? Dhunub. Okay, dhunub. And literally, dhanab means the tail of an animal which is something that you're ashamed of, basically. right? So then there's something you commit between you and Allah, and you, get, you become ashamed of it. Okay, It makes you feel guilty. Whereas the other type of sayyat, which is the more dangerous, according to the Quran, is when you take or, or violate the rights of others. And one of the most dangerous ways in which we can violate the rights of others is with our tongue. So we talked about backbiting, we talked about spreading, you know, false rumors, we talked about um, judging, okay, and this happened so casually. Like, you know, you go to a, a Pakistani majlis, what's the topic usually about? Like how corrupt the government is in Pakistan and how corrupt the leaders are. By the way, this is riba. And, and that kind of riba is happening at a national level. So casually, right, over pakore and samosa and jalebis. Talking about someone behind their back about something that's true that you would never say in front of their face. That's what ghiba is. Talking about someone behind their back about something that's true that you would never say to their face. So it's true, but you're talking about it. So the believers, what's their attitude towards all sorts of evil talk, all sorts of useless talk, talk that's, you can call it negative talk, right? What do they do? They walk away. They don't want to get involved in any of that. You know why? Because sayyat, the way it works with sayyat is, you know you if you're a person who's backbiting constantly, you're constantly judging others. You're constantly spreading uh, false rumors without verifying the news on WhatsApp and you're constantly sharing news without verifying. You're obsessed with scandals, okay? Such a person he's violating the rights of others. And when you violate the rights of others, guess what? You can do 10,000 istighfar, you can go to Umrah 10 times in a year and ask Allah for forgiveness. Is that enough? It's not enough because you violated someone else's right. And therefore, how do you compensate for that? Either by saying sorry to the person you violated, by, by settling the score with them, right? So if, like, say, for example, you steal money, that's also violating the rights of others. That's also a sayyi'ah how do you make up for that? You, you go and pay back the money. You go and say, sorry, you, you, settle it, you settle the affair with them. And you ask them to forgive you. Not only Allah, they should be forgiving you. And until they forgive you, guess what? That is something that's a say, And Allah says about sayyya, وَجَزَاءُ سَيِّئَةٍ سَيِّئَةٌ مُثْلُهَا The compensation of a sayyah is a sayyya identical to it. Which means what? This is what's known as the law of karma. In the Hindu tradition, they call it karma. Okay? Of course, we as Muslims don't believe in karma uh, as in multiple lives and that kind of stuff. But within our lifespan, this idea of karma is consistent with the Quran. You do wrong to others, it will come back at you. And so one, so one of the most dangerous ways where we violate other people's lives is uh, through our tongues. And what has shaitan done, by the way? Iblis, what he has done is he has flipped the equation. Right? The, we said the nub and sayyat are, in the Quranic language, lighter. Like, look at this. Right? Allah says about humaza and lumaza, which is a type of uh, laghu. He says, "Wailun li kulli humazatin lumaza." Every single humaza, even the smallest act of laghu, Allah says, "Wail." What is wail? Wail is one of the most dangerous. Uh, places in the hellfire. One of the most severe and dangerous types of punishments are for those who commit humaza and lumaza which is a type of laghu. Allah didn't say wail about those who drink alcohol in the Quran. He never said wail about those who commit zina. He didn't say wail about those who engage in uh, acts of immodesty. No. But for Another place, Allah says, "Wa'ilun lil mutaffifin." Those who talk about other people and, you know, they do ta'tfif, which is known as, you know, bringing down the reputation of someone else. It's usually used also in trade when you like are cheating in trade, but it also means hurting someone's reputation. When you know someone has a flaw, you expose it. That's also ta'tfif. And what did Allah say about tatf- uh, mutaffifin? Wa'ilun lahum and he said wailun li kulli a theme for the one who lies constantly so you see the language of the quran a big emphasis is, is on the respect of other people's freedom and other people's honor and dignity but what has shaitan done he has made like when someone's doing riba or namima or judging someone it's adi, it's just an element it's casual right but when someone drinks alcohol astaghfirullah Someone zina, Astaghfirullah. So he has made what's really dangerous something light, and we have, he has made what's light something extremely, uh, you know, big in a society. So messed, messed up priorities, basically. So mu'ridun. These people, these mu'minun, they're staying away from all of that. They're never mu'ridun. It's always the case. They never get involved in riba because they know the consequences and you know uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala described Ghibah specifically as eating the flesh of your dead brother uh, as if you know he's even alive can you imagine that? eating the flesh of your dead brother alive, that's pretty disgusting but one of its meanings also from a psychological perspective is you know the flesh of your dead brother is actually filthy stuff it's, it's, it's negative energy that you're taking in so when you hurt others don't think that it's not going to come back to you in a, in, a, in a negative way. And in fact, one of the salihin, he's known for, like he heard about this man who was backbiting against him. He showed up at his doorstep with a, a tray of dates and sweets. So that man said, what are you doing? Like, why are you bringing sweets to me? I'm, I constantly backbite against you. He says, yes, and these sweets are for you because, because of you, my level has being, is being elevated. In front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I'm being purified. My sins are being purified thanks to your backbiting. So when you backbite, guess what's happening? Your hasanat, your good deeds are going to that person that you're backbiting. And their sayyiat, their bad deeds are coming to you. So it's a win-win situation for the victim. And a lose-lose situation for the one who's committing the crime of غيبة. Okay? So Lahu is a pretty serious thing. And this is the beauty of the Qur'an is when we look at what Allah makes a priority, what Allah highlights as important and dangerous, it rem- this is why the Qur'an is a reminder, because society makes us forget. We forget the danger of the trunk, we forget the danger of one small lie, and the consequences of this one small lie. How severe it can be. So constantly avoiding laghu. And why does why it come after khushu' and salah? Because these people are aware, they're conscious of what's good for them, what's not good for them. What's the opposite of being aware? Ghafla, right? When you become heedless, when you become forgetful, when you don't have that level of consciousness of what's dangerous for you, what's not dangerous for you, and you, you carelessly get exposed to what harms you. But those who have khushu' and salah, they're switched on all the time. They're alert, like the farmer. They are constantly protecting their iman, and they're—it's like you have a radar, right? And everything that's gonna harm this iman, number one, lahu, I'm gonna stay away from it, wherever it comes. I'm staying away from it. Okay. And so, uh, part of part of this is also um, entertainment. A lot of entertainment is there's a lot of lahu in entertainment also right? Useless talk, uh, making fun, a lot of comedy today is making fun. Making fun is a pretty big deal in Surah Al-Hujraat. لا يسخر قوم من قوم And don't call each other names, don't make fun of each other, what's known as bullying, teasing, mocking, all of these things are so casual in our society, right? But these, it's a huge crime in front of Allah and so the mu'minun are avoiding this at all cost. So what is the consequence of the first two now? So you, you have khushu and salah. You're being aware. You have this sense of protection of your iman. You're staying away from all useless and, and harmful talk that can corrupt your heart right, and your, your life. Then what Allah says, And those who... When it comes to purification, they're doing it all the time. When it comes to purification, they're doing it all the time. Now, zakat is often, if you read the translation of this, it's going to probably say, those who pay zakat all the time. It doesn't make sense. You're not required to pay zakat all the time, you're required to pay zakat once a year, right? Okay, and that's even if you're able to. Here Allah's talking about a general thing, when it comes to zakat, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala usually says wa'atu zakah. He uses the the verb eta uz zakah. Whereas here Allah used the word fi'l, fa'il. Those who do. So it's an action that you're doing. So zakah comes from the root word zakka or tezkiya, which means to purify. You're constantly engaged in purification. And so we have khushu and salah, high iman. You're stay, staying away from lahu, useless talk. And in, as a result, what's happening? You're being purified. Your heart, and what is being purified? Your heart and your mind, mainly. That's what the Qur'an does. The heart and the mind constantly get purified. Purified from what? The heart gets purified from all sorts of diseases. Hatred. Because if you think about it, what usually causes laghu? When do you backbite against someone? When there is some hatred in the heart, right? When you think that you're better than others. there's some, so there's ego involved there, You think you're better than others so you're backbiting You think you're better than others, you're making fun of them You think you're better than others, you're mocking them You think you're better than others, you are judging them So there's ego that needs to be purified And there's hatred in the heart, there is jealousy, there is anger that needs to be cleansed also. So you see this, this, like in every surah that we're reading, we come down to the same conclusion. It all comes down to a clean heart, it all comes down to purification. And you know, being a beginner student of the Qur'an, one of the you know recurring themes of the Qur'an is one of its objectives, one of the key objectives of Islam is purification. Constant purification. Allah talks about this nafs of ours that constantly needs to be purified. Allah says in, in another place in the Qur'an, Qad aflaha, same word, right? Here it says, al There he says, aflaha man zakkaha, the one who purified it. Purified what? The nafs. And then what does he say? And on its opposite, Waqad Khaba man And the one who suppresses the nafs, the one who doesn't care about the nafs he has failed he has been destroyed so this idea of Tazkiyah you are constantly you are constantly concerned about cleansing your heart with forgiveness forgiveness is one of the biggest ways to cleanse the heart from anger and from grudges and love also a big, big healer for the heart okay? these two I would say are the top two Forgiveness and love for all of humanity. Purification of the heart. And of course, for the mind, ego is the big one. Thinking you're better than others, I am better than him. Whether that's with your possessions, with your knowledge, with your status, with you know, whatever it is. So, constant purification. And what does Lahu do to the heart and the mind? What does laghu do to the heart and the mind? Corrupts it, right? And so you see how like it's all connected now? Earlier Allah told us to stay away from Lahu. Why? We're learning why. Why are they muaridun عَنِ laghu? Why? Because they're, for them, keeping the heart and the mind clean is super important. Why? Because that's how you keep your Iman. You see that attitude now? Okay? Another meaning of hum uh, lizakati fa'arun is not only are they purifying their heart and their mind, they're concerned about purifying the world around them. They're concerned, and purification here could mean solving problems, fixing things that are work, not working, solving issues. So someone invents something beneficial for humanity, that's a form of tazkiyah, right? You're solving a problem for humanity. You're building a tool for people to make their lives better. And so that's also part of being c- caring about this earth, being c- caring about you know, humanity. And that's one of the objectives of uh, our creation, right? Allah created us as a khalifa on this earth to purify this earth. When Allah created Adam, السلام, look at the wor- words that are really interesting. An- the angels, what did they say? They questioned Allah, they said Ya Allah, are you going to create someone who's going to, you know, do fasad on this earth and spread bloodshed and corruption? While we, the angels are talking about themselves, while we لك, While we praise you, we do tasbih of you, and we're constantly نُقَدِّسُ لَكَ What does taqdis mean? We constantly, you know, praise your purity and your perfection, and we're constantly engaged in purification. So it's as if when Allah created Adam, the angels questioned Ya Allah. Are we creating this, this human being who's in called bloodshed and corruption? What did Allah respond to them? Allah said, "I know what you don't know." Inni So in other words, Allah's hears like between the lines saying there will be some people, some human beings. These mu'mineen who will be purifying this earth. Yes, there, the majority will be corrupting this earth. Remember Sut al-Asr? Majority are going to be you know, making this, wor- this world more and more dirty, more and more filthy, more and more you know, uh, corrupt. But my special group of believers, those minority, they will be cleaning up the mess. They will take it up upon themselves to clean up, the corruption that's out there and they will be interested in doing what's good and spreading good they'll be interested in helping people not just greed but helping adding value, benefiting so you see like values is a big part of this mu'minun have values and, and purity is a value cleanliness is a value right when you want to help others when you want to sell, solve problems it shows that you care right and corruption means you don't care. Corruption means you just care about yourself. Corruption is about greed. Whereas, z- zakaat, people of Teskia they are constantly in service. They love serving others. They love adding value to others and helping others. And one of the most successful things you can do as a businessman today, or as entrepreneurs, is think of how you can add value to people's lives. Wallahi. Even the West has figured this out now. It's not about starting a business to make money. No, it's about what value can I give to people. And if I give them the right value, they're going to pay me for it. And so look at your apps on your phone. Every single app out there is giving you a value. And the more value it gives you, the more downloads it gets. The more downloads it gets, the more money they make. How much value is Google Maps giving you? How much value is Uber giving you? How much value is WhatsApp and Facebook giving you? Connectivity, you know, and all of these conveniences. Mm-hmm. So this is all part of islah actually. This is all part of islah. And so it has nothing to do with religion or... No. If you do good, you are a muslih. So, those who are constantly engaged in tazkiyah, First of all, cleaning up their own hearts and minds, cleaning up their relationships with others, right? We could also purify our relationships with others. We could purify the way we earn income. Maybe you're involved in haram income, so purify it also. Go back and see how you can clean it up. Purifying your habits, now Ramadan is coming up, the month of transforming your habits. Because you know, in in psychology they say that You know, when you repeat something 21 times in a row, right? Ramadan is 30 days. You repeat something 30 times, it becomes a habit. It becomes super easy to do. So, Ramadan is the month of cleansing, also, right? It's the month of getting rid of those habits that need to be cleansed and applying those new habits that you really want. and zakat could also mean in in reference to lahu saying good things when goodness comes out of your mouth when good words come out of your mouth words of kindness words of love words of encouragement words of you know care which is very difficult nowadays to hear right words of kindness nowadays okay so you see how the ideas are Connecting. So, what was the first quality? I forgot. What made the Mu'mineen successful? And then? Very good. And then? So, those who constantly purify themselves. Next, Allah talks about a really interesting uh, topic. But what's strange about this topic is that he, you know, the previous ayat was just one ayah, one ayah, one ayah, right? One ayah. One ayah. one ayah. one ayah. Here he's talking about the same topic, but three ayat. And the topic is guarding your private parts. Literally. I'm being very explicit. Okay? حافظون, those who are protectively guarding their private parts. Furuj in the Arabic language comes from farj, which means an opening. <coughs> and so it is usually referred to in the Arabic language as your private parts. And then, so Allah says, حافظون, So you are having, you have khushu in salah, you're staying away from useless talk. You're constantly purifying yourself. And then it's as if Allah is giving us an example of what is the biggest thing that can destroy your purification, which is this idea of attraction to the opposite gender and not guarding your private parts. This idea of shamelessness and being exposed to immorality. So Allah says, وَالَّذِينَهُمْ So remember, the theme of the farmer is what? Protective, protective right? You're protective of... Who you hang out with. You know, you're doing irad to the gatherings where there's lahu. You're doing arad of friends who do lahu. You're you're doing arad of entertainment that has lahu. You're protecting yourself. Okay? Why? Because you want to purify yourself. And now what are you doing? You're being protective of your private parts. And then Allah says there's an exception, of course, right? Illa Allah Azwajim. Of course, with your wives, except with your wives. InshaAllah, you know. Whatever is halal, you can do. So, you know, um, back in the days, they used to have wives as well as uh, what is known as um, slave women, right? Women that you basically uh, come under your, uh, what the right hand possesses, basically they call it. Okay? Allah says, "As for your wives and those slave girls that are under your protection you will not be blamed for, for doing whatever you want with them to satisfy yourself with your private parts. And then Allah goes on with a warning. فَمَنْ ابتغى وَرَاءَ ذَلِكَ فأولئك هم العادون So whoever transgresses these boundaries, they are indeed of al-aadun. Aadun from Ta'addi means that you've basically Uh, gone off track, you've you've crossed the limits, okay. So now, this is obviously talking about the attraction between a male and a female outside of marriage, okay, a a haram relationship basically. It's also talking about exposing yourself to shamelessness that can cause you to not guard your private parts. And we know that, you know, the the shameless industry today is a multi-billion dollar industry. We know that you know the percentage of people addicted to that kind of entertainment is very, very, very high among males as well as females. But this is something that's often not talked about, right? When was the last time you talked you listened to a khutbah about this? Anyone? Can I see hands up? No, right? But Allah subhanahu Wa ta'ala decided to keep it as one of the items of the descriptions of the mu'minun. So can we censor this stuff out? No, right? Maybe after the talk some of you brothers and sisters might come and say, Brother Fahd, you know, these topics you should not talk about. You know, it's inappropriate in this gathering. But excuse me, Allah is talking about these things. How can we censor it out? If Allah is talking about it, that means it's a pretty big deal. And this is quality number what? Number four, right? Okay, quality number four. And how many ayat has Allah dedicated to this topic? Three ayat, not one. Why? Why? Importance. Extreme importance and extreme danger. It's as if Allah is highlighting that this, you want to purify yourself, show me how you can purify your private parts. If you're able to do that, then congratulations. Your Iman will be strong. And so here, like, we're realizing something extremely. Like, the Prophet also told us, beautiful hadith. Whoever can guarantee me what is between his jaws and between his legs, I can guarantee him Jannah. What's between your jaws is your tongue, what, what's between your legs is the private parts, right? What will he be guaranteed? Jannah. And so this hadith is in line with the surah, right? Because earlier, Laghu was referred to, which is. You know, what's between your jaws, and now Allah is talking about this thing called shahwa, this attraction. Now, is the attraction something wrong? Absolutely not, not, right? It's completely normal to have this attraction towards the opposite gender. But, what can cause people to go off track when it comes to, you know, guarding your private parts and your chastity? Any suggestions? What can cause us to go off track? Number one, when you make marriage difficult. When society makes marriage difficult, then we are actually encouraging people to go off track in this area. Right? And is that something that's a reality nowadays? Yes, brothers who are not married, is it difficult to get married? Yeah. Do parents make it difficult? Do, you know, society, does society make it difficult? Does Islam make it difficult? Absolutely not, right? Islam is supposed to be a very simple thing. But, again, we are paying for the consequences of this. And then parents come up to me and say, Oh, my, bro- my son doesn't pray. My son, you know, he has a girlfriend. My son, he's addicted to this stuff. How do I get him off of that? Yani, what else can he do, right? The society around us, especially if you like, you send your kids to like a mixed school, then <laughs> you know? How, re- how is he going to protect himself from this kind of stuff? And so, you know, I'm not saying get your kids married at the age of 15, right? although that's it's allowed, right? But what I'm saying is, as a society, we need to think of how we do terbiya to our children. What kind of uh, entertainment do you watch with your kids at home? Is it okay for you to watch a movie with like a seven-second scene? And you say, oh, it's only seven seconds, we'll forward it. Is it okay for you to have you know, filthy magazines showing like, you know, uh, women half-dressed in your in your homes especially for the mothers, right? Fashion magazines What kind of environment do you create in the house? What kind of clothes do your children wear? What kind of friends do they have? What kind of entertainment do they watch? What kind of schools do you send your kids to? Honestly Makes a big difference, right? Okay So I know this is a huge topic, we can debate about this a lot, but what I'm saying is Allah is making protecting and guarding your private parts a big deal. So until we make it a big deal, Iman won't be a big deal in our lives. It's supposed to be a big deal. We're supposed to talk about this, we're supposed to think of solutions of how to solve this problem, how to tackle this issue. And and parents especially, you know. There's so many cases of, you know. A lot of wives come up to me and complain about their husbands being addicted to this stuff also okay so part, part of that is also this idea of not being honest with your spouse and cheating and and you know when you don't have sukun in the house when you don't have sukun in the house, then these things start happening, okay because you know what's what's really beautiful about um, the Ayat of Siyam, okay? it's a small tangent but really relative to this, inshallah we can talk about it in Ramadan. Allah goes on in Surah Al-Baqarah talking about fasting, 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 and then He ends the, the paragraph of fasting with spending the night with your wives, intimacy between the husband and the wife. And, and there's like three Ayats dedicated to that in detail, very explicit language. Okay, about how you're supposed to be intimate with your wife when? In the nights of Ramadan. <laughs> like we would imagine that the nights of Ramadan are the nights for like, you know, tahajjud and Quran and dua, stay away from the wife. Astaghfirullah, you know, it's Ramadan. Let's work on our ibadah. and No, the Quran actually tells the believers what they need to do during the nights of Ramadan. You know what you need to be doing for those of you who are married. You need to be super intimate and romantic with your wives. That's when you establish taqwa in Ramadan. So Ramadan is like that one month rejuvenation of the romance and intimacy between husband and wife. (laughs) I'm not making this stuff up. Go read the ayat of (laughs) Baqarah. And so, why am I saying this and how is it connected to this? Because if we don't as, as men, as husbands and wives, if we don't take this relationship seriously and we don't satisfy each other, then guess what? This is what happens. This is what happens in society and then that there's destruction of iman. So you know, these are real topics that the Quran addresses, but we as a society, we just shy away from them and we think that it's, it's inappropriate to talk about them. But again, Allah chose three ayat. All the rest are one ayah, one ayah, one ayah. This is three ayat. And it's is the center of this discussion. So just doing the connection, khushu' and salah. Staying away from laghu, hurtful speech, evil talk, constant purification of the heart and the mind and the world around you. And then guarding your private parts, making sure that you're satisfying yourself in the right way, in the halal way, and, um, and enjoying your life in that area, right? You're supposed to be full, like it's supposed to be a project for every single one here, right? How do I, you know, revive, how do I purify my intimate relationship with my wife? Literally, okay, and work on it. And if you're like, if you're overweight, work on like losing weight and getting the six pack. For the sisters, work on looking good for your husband. Work on dressing, uh, well, and husbands, work on dressing up for your wives also. Because if, if you're not going to dress up for your uh, husband, then the secretary at work is dressing up for your husband. Right? So there's like this fierce competition out there. <laughs> so, وَالَّذِينَ هُمْ لِفُرُوجِهِمْ And notice the warning. Whoever transgresses that, Fa هُمُ الْعَادُونَ They have cross the limits and how many people are crossing the limits today so casually and then we complain ah oh, we don't have khushu and salah we complain ah oh, ramadan came and went but i didn't feel anything you know so until when are we going to continue this uh, cycle next allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about and we're going to end soon inshallah but it's interesting he talks about walladhina amanatihim ra'un this is point number what now? Five, right? Five, yeah. Those who, when it comes to their trusts and their promises, they are extremely careful about them. Extremely careful to protect them. Ra'un comes from Ra'i, which is literally a shepherd. Now, is the job of a shepherd easy or difficult? It's difficult, right? Because, you know, the sheep can sometimes go out of control, right? And so you've co- you got to constantly be a great leader and make sure that nothing is going off track. All the sheep are in line. You're not, none of the sheep are, are you know, transgressing someone else's boundaries and someone else's land, right? So you've got to be very cautious. So Allah says, when it, the believers, their fifth quality is, after they're purified and, and guard their private parts, they are extremely cautious about their promises and the trust that they've been given and of course in relation to the previous one this is talking to married people who are cheating on their wives and, and wives who are cheating on their husbands which is by the way very very common nowadays if you don't know okay, usually not talked about in society but very very common so it's, it's linked to the previous discussion of not guarding your private parts in the sense that Honor your commitments. Your marriage is a it's mithaq and ghalidah. It's a very strong covenant between you and your wife. It's a trust. It's a promise. You can't cheat. Okay? So the believers, they are loyal to their wives. That's one meaning of this. The other meaning of this is, of course, general. In the fact that as a believer, whenever you make a promise to someone, you fulfill it. Right? Whenever you commit to something, you do it. You say to someone, I'll show up at 6, you show up at 6. You don't show up at 6.30 and say, Oh traffic. If there's traffic, call them up before you're late and tell them, I'm going to be late. By the way, according to some ulama, you know, like small, these small promises that you break. Let's say you tell someone, you, or you borrow a book from someone and you say, I'll give it back to you after a week. And you give it back after a year. According to some ulama, that is actually a kabira. You know, the sins, there's two types, there's minor sins, major sins. According to some ulama, which I agree to, is this is a major sin. Why? Because the Prophet said that the signs of a hypocrite are three. Whenever he speaks, he lies. Whenever he promises, he breaks his promise. Whenever he's entrusted with something, he breaks his trust. And a munafiq, as we know, is, is it a, like a bad thing? Of course, it's worse than a kafir, basically. right? In the Quran's language, the munafiqun are in the lowest pits of the hellfire. So again, look at the state of the Muslims today, right? Are we the most trusted people? Are the, are, can we count on each other for business? Would you want to have a Muslim partner with you in business? Would you want to hire a Muslim employee? I talk to a lot of businessmen and the answer is usually no. They're the least trusted. Okay, which is sad. Because at one point in time, we were the most trusted in society. Like I remember um, my friend telling me this example of, he was uh, from a, in a Hindu city village, right? Where there's, uh, like the Muslims were a minority. Whenever the non-Muslims would go out of the city for some travel or something, they would keep their jewelry with the Muslims' houses because they were so trust, trustworthy. It was like the safe bank of the village, the Muslims. Because they know that Muslims are honest, they're loyal, they never break their promise. And so commitments, promises, like Allah's included this topic in the top six qualities of the believers. For them, honoring commitments, your words, again, these are words, Right? Earlier laghu was negative words, this is words of commitment that you give to others, trusts that are given to you. You can't break them. It's a matter of character, it's a matter of integrity. It's a big, big, big deal. But we have become so casual about it, right? And then, of course, you know, when it comes to amana, our children are also amana. Right? We are responsible for our children, so we will be asked about our children and we should you know, be responsible for what we do in terms of our, our relationships and our uh, commitments to our children, in terms of giving them time, giving time to your wife, giving time to your parents. This is basically showing you different roles in your life that you have to fulfill, right? balancing of roles, the role of a father, the role of a brother, the role of a mother, the role of a sister, the role of you know, uh, paying your employees on time the role of spending time with the children. All of these are different roles that we need to be cautious about. And breaking promises. You know, big reminder from the Quran. If you can't fulfill a promise, just stay quiet. If you can't do it, just say, I can't do it. You know, sometimes like, we try to be like Superman and we take on projects and responsibilities. Yeah, yeah, I can do it. Yeah, inshallah, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. it." And then you end up with a bunch of tasks to do and you're burdening yourself and then you're burning yourself out and you end up breaking promises so the easy way out is to say sorry I can't do it it's not rude to say sorry I can't do it okay it's not haram to say sorry I can't do it sorry I'm busy but it's haram to say I can do it and you don't do it does it make sense? and then lastly Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala again mentioned salah Interesting, huh? The last quality is again about salah, but here Allah is talking about protecting the salawat. And here, earlier, when it come to, came to khushu' and salah, salah was in the individual form, right? It was talking about one salah, they have khushu' because khushu' is an individual act. Here it's about salawatihim yuhafidun. It has different meanings. One of the meanings is because we have multiple salawat throughout the day So you are managing your day wisely You're managing your time wisely You are managing your day around salawat Salats are like the pillars of your day And everything around it is secondary So salah for you, the salawat, the five prayers This also includes nawafil and all of that You are protecting them You hafidun You're constantly taking care of them okay? Another meaning of this is you know, in, amongst your family. You're reminding your family to pray. You're reminding your children to pray. You're, you're, It's like creating this loop again of khushu and salah, right? That salah is a big deal in the family, in the community. You're going to jama'ah. You're involved with people and you're bringing the, the spirit of salah back to life. And hopefully this is going to connect with the initial discussion about khushu and salah. So you see, it's like, it's like this beautiful pearl necklace that's... That's reconnecting. As you protect your salawat, then you are going to be focused on individually maintaining khushu and salah. And the cycle continues. So let's do like a quick wrap up. What are the six qualities? Because I forgot all of them. قَدْ أَفْلَحَ الْمُؤْمِنُونَ الَّذِينَ هُمْ فِي Those have khushu in salah. Then, وَالَّذِينَ هُمْ عَنَ مُعْرِضُونَ Those who Avoid all forms of evil talk, okay? وَالَّذِينَهُمْ Number three? <inaudible> constant purification of the heart, the mind, the actions. And then number four? وَالَّذِينَهُمْ <inaudible> لِفُرُوجِمْ Three ayat about protecting the private part. And then number five? Raun, <inaudible> Those who guard their promises and their commitments and their trusts. And then finally, Salah again. So it's like this nice sandwich. I'm getting hungry now. Yeah? You have Salah, Salah, and then all the stuff in between. Um, I'd like to end. Uh, what does Allah say about these people? So that we can end and start praying. <laughs> Those are the ones who are the true inheritors. Now, when you inherit something, um, what does it signify? And it's been given to you, you deserve it, right? Someone wants you to have it. Just as if Allah is telling you that this is something that you deserve because of the acts that you've done. But what are you inheriting? al hum fiha Those who inherit the paradise, al-firdaus. هُمْ فِيهَا They will be in it forever. Now one of the meanings of this which you'll find in a lot of uh, translations is they will be in the paradise of the hereafter forever. But another way of looking at it is khulud means eternal, right? So it could also mean even in this life. Their life, they're living their life in, in paradise on earth because khulud means forever meaning now and then in dunya as well as akhirah so it's a big reminder for all of us that you know paradise on earth is possible and it requires us to be aware of what allah what formula allah gave us right because quran is guidance you want to live on paradise on earth this is the guidance you follow it you will experience paradise on earth you don't follow it who do we blame If we don't follow it, and we don't experience paradise on earth, who do we blame? Ourselves, yeah? So lastly, I just want to show you how the structure of these uh, ayat are so beautifully uh, connected. Here, this is supposed to make you appreciate not only the lessons behind this introduction of the surah, but how Allah says it, like the language, the layout of of the ayat. So Allah started off with success, right? قَدْ أَفْلَحَ الْمُؤْمِنُونَ At the end, he tells us what the reward was. They win paradise, right? They inherit paradise. So, uh, section number one is connected with section number eight. Section number two talked about salah, khushur and salah. Section number seven talked about protecting of salawat. Is there a connection there? Yeah, salah, right? Section number three talked about evil talk. And section number six talked about talk in terms of your commitments also so the common theme there is talk right because all your promises all your commitments your trust this is, these are all verbal agreements between you and others right or no so on one hand there's lahu that you're staying away from on the other hand there's talk that you're being very protective of you're you're taking it very seriously and then number four was about purification and number five was an example of the ultimate purification in the surah and you see how the, the topic of the furuj and guarding the private parts is at the center. It's as if this is like the, the climax, right? This is the patty of the whole burger. Get that right, and your, inshallah, your other things will be easy. You get that wrong, and say bye-bye to your iman, basically. All right? So inshallah, with that, um, I conclude. Um, any questions before we end and pray? Comments? So in terms of priority, there are so many things that we need to get straight. going to I guess they're all interconnected, you know? Interconnected. It starts with Salah, definitely. It starts with that idea of I wanna be a believer. Even for Salah. Who do you want to be? Which level of Jannah do you want to experience? Right? What's your motivation? What's your goal? Inshallah, all of us, yeah. But then again, there's the action as part of it, Inshallah. So may Allah, Inshallah, make us of those who inherit the Firdaus Al-A'la, Inshallah, in this world and in the next. (laughs) Jazakumullah khair. As-salamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.